0: I like the idea of utilising a game like magic as a lens by which to analyse different aspects of philosophy, politics, our world, materially, stuff like that, or even just uh, narrative forms. Utilise magic as a means of explaining it and also guiding my analysis of it. Edutainment. There's no more humiliating feeling than sitting in an empty room and recording a joke and Letting it happen and then sitting there and just thinking to yourself, "This is fucking garbage. This sucks. This bit is not funny." I say corpse puppet, and it's corpse puppeteer. And there'll be three comments that, like, at at 37 seconds, you said corpse puppet. It's actually corpse puppeteer. It's like, cool, cool. Fuck you. I can stop it. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay.
1: Welcome to Humans of Magic. My guest this week is Magic YouTuber Spice 8-Rack. You may know Spice Hate Rack from some of their greatest video hits, like The Forgotten Brilliance of Lorwyn, Goblins, A Very Serious History, or the entire Magic the Gathering story in 10 minutes. In this conversation, we explore Spice's method and influences. Spice is super thoughtful and intentional, and even asked me a whole bunch of things about Humans and Magic. That was really cool. We had a genuine dialogue that touched on the things near and dear to their heart, and I hope you enjoy the listen spice eight rack do you prefer spice eight rack or connor or you can you can call
0: me charlotte if you like um now nah, uh, spice <laughs> spice or connor is super super fun by me um uh yeah either or how,
1: how did uh how did spice eight rack the name come
0: about was a um, pen name
1: or something you had for magic or what
0: no not in the slides i i've said i've said a few times that If I'd have known I would be making Magic the Gathering videos as a full time job, I would have thought of a better name Uh, because the amount of times I have to explain what it means to um, folks, even within magic and why I picked it and where it came from is it's not, you know, like Tolerian Community College, you just know what that's about. Humans and magic. It rolls off the tongue. Mine is a conundrum wrapped within a reference within an enigma. Um, but it's uh, the reason I came up with it was uh, I've always maintained that if I were to play modern, i would be playing uh, eight rack, the discard deck, uh, because that's a sort of deck archetype and playstyle that I find particularly interesting. And I wanted to talk about flavor within magic, the gathering and where do you get your flavor from the spice rack? Of course. And so you put the two together. I'm talking about Flavor and Magic the Gathering. It's the Spice 8 rack. There we go. And and the fact fact that I have to explain it every single time means it's not a good name.
1: Is it really not a good name though? Because I feel like it's unique enough. So as long as the name is unique and people remember it, that's what really matters, no?
0: I think so. I think like to a certain degree, I I, as as I've said, I've said before that if I knew that I'd be doing this as a full time job, I would have picked a different name, but I've got no idea what I would have picked as the alternative. Um, I think there's just something about the fact that it's got a number in the name. It feels very like early 2000s Internet, you know, it's like uh, two words with a random number or like a, a hashtag in the middle of it for no good reason. Um, so like, I don't know, I, I think it's, it's reasonably memorable. And I like the fact that through the, uh, the, I guess, like a cultural osmosis of people just talking about my stuff, people end up just calling me Spice, which I'm very, very happy with as a, as a nickname. I think that's a, that's a delight and I'm, I'm, I'm chuffed with that.
1: That's great. It sounds like an affectionate nickname. Yes.
0: Uh, it is quite, it is quite affectionate. Yeah. I'm quite happy with it.
1: Yeah. So let's get right into it. I assume that you didn't grow up thinking you're going to be a full-time YouTuber. I spoke to Pleasant Kenobi before on Humans of Magic, aka Vince. And <laughs> Pleasant Kenobi basically said, you know, that Spice 8 rack, they basically just had overnight success. They basically just uh, had the 10-minute magic history video and suddenly they were on the map and... and uh, but I don't really believe in overnight success. So like there must have been a lot of things you did that culminated in getting into YouTube and your continued success in YouTube. So can you can you sort of wow, what a run on question. Uh, can you just kind of
0: <laughs> just kind of uh, lay it out for us? <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I think that there are two parts of it. There's the there's of like success within YouTube and why I even started making videos in the first place the success within YouTube was it was very very quick it wasn't overnight literally but it's certainly like I released my first video December 2018 and it took about three or four months I can't remember I think it might have been actually like late February now I'm thinking about it um that or early March that one of my videos just blew up um I went from uh i had like four videos on the channel i released my uh 33 godless minutes of goblin analysis video and i went over the course of about a week i went from around about 120 subscribers to well over 5,000, and then it just kept going uh exponentially so there was a i remember the day that i saw that that was happening and that the views were going up i genuinely assumed that my youtube app was broken because that that's not how it was supposed to happen. I was supposed to slowly over the course of many, many years, eventually generate enough of uh, good content and then something blows up and people come to watch the rest of it. Uh, but that was like video number four, I think, or three. Uh, the as for like the the reason why I think that blew up necessarily was because I did a lot of prep beforehand. I have a, um, I have a friend called Birdkeeper Toby, who's a Pokemon YouTuber. Uh, and I within sort of like the friendship group that I used to have in sort of like London, uh, there were a lot of like sort of uh, YouTubers who had, you know, a couple of uh, thousand subscribers, tens of thousands of subscribers, stuff like that. And they were very, very good at giving me advice about what kind of videos to be putting out. The first one that I made was actually the third one that came out on the channel, which was a um, uh, something. Oh God, I can't actually remember what, off the top of my head what it is, but it was something to do with. Uh, guilds of Ravnica I think it was the flavor winds of guild of Ravnica and I remember showing that to my friends and them saying this is cool what's flavor what what do you mean by this it's like okay if I want people who don't necessarily know magic to get into this or magic players who don't necessarily know the parlance I'll make a video about flavor and that became the second video that I put out on the channel because I presented that to them and they went cool What is Magic the Gathering, by the way? I have no frame of reference for the actual narrative that you're talking about. So I made the 10 minute thing quite literally as a, okay, here you go, friends. This will be the thing that you can watch and then you can enjoy the rest of my stuff. Um, And I'm kind of, kind of annoyed that that video is the most popular video on my channel because it is easily the worst video on my channel (laughs) from my, from my perspective. It not only like did it age poorly not because i made bad predictions in it or anything well because like that, the story but... has evolved right so... yeah exactly and i'm talking about you know oh i really hope the gatewatch beat nicole bolas because i'm tired of them it's like sweet that happened two years ago so that entire section is completely out of date um it wasn't i still get kind of annoyed comments on that video to this day being like this isn't the story in 10 minutes this is just a bunch of jokes and like some really really surface level narrative it's like yeah it's because I had no intention of this being seen by like three quarters of a million people I had this the intention behind this was six people were gonna watch this and then watch the rest of my stuff um but it was the it was the goblin video that really really took off uh I think it was just like a reddit thing um it just Mm -hmm. people love goblins and I apparently was unhinged enough within that video that people enjoyed (laughs) sticking around for that long um and then i just i guess I kind of ran with it uh, so that was the that was the success part, but the actual why for YouTube is really really boring i was i had like uh i just come out of my master's in transnational writing and I was busing tables at a seafood restaurant and taking like uh really late night shifts at the local nightclub and just not being happy <laughs> and wanting <laughs> to do literally anything else mm-hmm. and there was a um uh like the city that i live there's a a video games journalist outlet um and they had a couple of jobs going for i think video editor or something like that and i thought oh that'd be a cool gig to do i applied for that they said you don't have a show reel so we can't really like accept you so i started making videos to act as that show reel and i thought well i know about magic the other it's the only thing i really know about i'll make those videos um, literally just as a sizzle reel to eventually get me out of, uh, bussing tables. And then if the sizzle reel itself got me out of bussing tables. Um, so that's, it's a, it's a very boring, very economical reason why I started making YouTube videos in the first place was literally just my job sucked and I did not want to do it anymore. How did you even find
1: the time so sorry for with... the
0: boring answer
1: <laughs> no no i mean that that's that's the reality right so how did you find time having holding two jobs and you know at different irregular hours to even do something like this creatively or to even get into the, the
0: craft mm. yeah. so the i i will say i had um the the nightclub thing was one job i left that because I couldn't survive on the pay ah, okay, and then okay. I moved on to the busy tables. Um, uh, I, I literally would not have been able to do it if I had two jobs. I, um, I was like, I was working. I would come home from like from the nightclub that I worked at, I would come home at around about 3am. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, sorry. It closed at 3am. I'd get home around four uh, mm-hmm. because I lived in a town that Uh, outside of the city where the nightclub was in a bit of a transit stopped running and i don't have a car yeah so i um end up having to get like the national express coach back home and that was a nightmare but like i would get home i would sleep i would wake up um and i would just like write as much as i could about things that interested me about magic the gathering um uh, i think ravico allegiance was coming out and i thought like top five flavor wins or something like that would be like a a cool thing like a very small video topic to actually get into um and then i would just edit on premiere on my little <laughs> shitty laptop and drag and drop assets onto the screen in the worst possible like it looked awful looking back on it and looking, so you were completely self-taught like you just, you just kind of
1: figured it out
0: oh yeah i i was um but i uh, i practiced on my university's computers in like my free time to learn how to use premiere pro which was an abject mistake because it now means that I can't use any editing software that isn't Premiere Pro because I'm too scared to try and learn anything But you, anything you picked new. the best one, right? I think it's the best one. I picked the, the most expensive one is what I fucking <laughs> picked. Um, or rather, I picked the most expensive one because, uh, of course, that company gives it out to, free to universities so that uh, students get taught on the most expensive one. So when they leave uni they have to take the most expensive gotcha. one or learn a complete different yes. one. It's so, all so a financial trap. Um, but like, yeah, I was just editing at home, recording, like, I get like pillows from my, um, uh, my sister's bedroom and I just put them in the corner of a room and just record into literally this microphone. This has stuck with me for years now. Um, it's currently not in its case because its case, uh, is broken. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm still, even to this day, I'm still very much a ramshackled one, one person band kind of operation. Um, but yeah, like that's that's the <laughs> the weird ramshackle t- story of how but I started making there's There's got to be
1: something that drew you to video editing, because I assume that before before even learning Premiere and YouTube, you 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 mentioned studying, you know, writing or like mm. you you're a writer first and foremost, right? Is that is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, I um yeah, I uh, used to be a semi-professional performance poet. Uh, and so when I one day turned to my family and said, I'm going to try and be a YouTuber, they went, oh, thank God, a lucrative career in comparison to what you were doing before, <laughs> uh, which I think is maybe a, a unique um, uh, circumstance for me to find myself in it in comparison to most other people would be like, I'm going to try and make YouTube a full-time thing. Um, but Yeah, I did a lot of writing. Um, I, I, I wrote and still write plays. I haven't put one on in a very, very long time. Um, In fact, the last play, the last performance I did of a play was before, obviously, before um, Covid lockdowns Um, and a fan of the channel came to watch because uh, I think they were on holiday to Britain and saw that I tweeted that, hey, my my one person show is on. If you want to come and watch, come and watch. And he did. Um, And that was a, a complete surprise and a delight. Um, But in terms of, like, specifically video editing, I think I was inspired by Brian David Gilbert. Um, Have you come across that character before? Yeah. Um, And so, like, his narrative arc of making silly YouTube videos, then getting a job at Polygon, then kind of becoming, for a time, the de facto creative face of Polygon with, sort of, like, the Unraveled series, if not the face certainly one of the most popular creators, and then going off to do his own thing. And I thought... That's a trajectory that I think I could follow. And I somehow accidentally speed ran it and skipped out the middle bit where I built a portfolio of work at a career and just ended up doing this full time with, with no preparation.
1: So when you were creating your first magic related YouTube videos, you must've already consumed a lot of YouTube by then, right? So did you already have a good idea as to the framework, the mechanics, like how to hook people in, how to do thumbnails and all that. All the, I would yeah. say like there's content, but there's also the kind of meta thing around the content that you have to do if hmm. you're a YouTuber. Was that all there from the kind of beginning because you studied it or what was it like?
0: Uh, I think i I... I, I never sat down to look at it and I never sat down to have every, anybody like explain it to me. The closest that I came was um, against so like Bert, uh, uh birthday to Toby, who um, I credit a lot for the fact that I sort of hit the ground running with with the videos that I was making. Um, but in terms of like the meta stuff, a lot of it was. Um, completely like on the fly learning from other people who had complained about, oh, this video didn't do well because this thumbnail didn't work out and like working out. Okay. But why is that? Um, I ended up, uh, like temporarily having a short time stint working as the, uh, a social, uh, an SEO officer, which is like the, the person who search engine optimization the tags. like the keywords and yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, um, and that happened after um, my after my, uh, restaurant gig mm-hmm. uh, for a short period of time uh, into like the transitionary stage between YouTube was taking off but not nearly enough to support me financially mm-hmm. and before I sort of got my first sponsor and started Patreon and stuff like that. And I learned a lot of stuff from that um, and I kind of had accidentally... Uh, applied it previously to my um, my original work, um, uh, as well as sort of like feedback from uh, other friends who'd like were starting, who had their own YouTube channels and stuff like that, and were starting to make stuff, um, uh, and sort of like had years of experience and just like pointed me in the right direction. Uh, but I think I approached everybody being like, hey, I'm not trying to make this a thing. I just want, you know, I want a few views on it so it doesn't look too bad when I send this off to, you know, the uh, the gaming outlet that I'm planning on applying to. And so they gave me a couple of pointers and then it, it seemed to work out quite well.
1: And was it easy or hard to speak to the camera? Because I I think it's not a natural thing that many of us are are born with. I can even tell now, like doing an interview. It's it's totally different than you speaking or recording a YouTube video, right? And some people are more yeah. comfortable with one or the other. I assume hmm. with kind of your performance background, because you probably had to uh, perform your poetry or read things that you've written. Is it is it? Yeah. Did that help or like was it is, was it still hard to kind of get into that in the beginning as a YouTube person, like recording things, voiceovers and such?
0: I think I think you're right. It's like uh, I don't know, like how much background like you personally have in terms of like uh, recording yourself or being in front of a, uh, a camera. But like, I know that for for me, I did have a, a certain edge in that I had done performance poetry. I'd also done a lot of improv comedy. I ran the Comedy Society at my university for a time. Um, uh, it wasn't a good one, but I ran it. Um, uh, I had experience in front of a camera occasionally when... Um, you know, I'd perform at, uh, there was a night that happened uh, locally called Raise the Bar, um, where a lot of people perform their work and would, it would be filmed and put up on YouTube. And I kind of got used to being aware of a camera's presence and not necessarily performing to it, but certainly performing for it. And I think that, that did give me more of an edge. However, I do look back on my, again, my earlier work and you can tell that I'm not fully comfortable with the, with with just speaking into uh, like in an empty room and reading off of a script, it's very very quick. It's like the the intonation on jokes isn't quite right. You can tell that I've done like one or two takes, and I've got no idea which one actually sounds better. Uh, it's also very. I think it's very different to how I talk normally when I'm in front of a camera. I try oh, and blend really. it over as yeah. much as I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But like. Uh, I don't, like have, have you had much experience of, sort of like performing like scripted work outside so, like an in interview setting? or was this very much your like first foray into, uh, uh, into performance in front of a camera?
1: So I really don't have much of a performance background. I studied computer hmm. science or like how to write software. That doesn't require any of that because you just sit in front of a computer hmm. and crank out code, right? And I think Mm. I had, I think I played the king once in like a fifth grade, like elementary school, like play or something. And I had only three lines and that was all I had to do. And I was really, that was pretty much it. So I had no performance acting public speaking (laughs) background. I actually started Mm. podcasting because I wanted to get better at public speaking. I guess I should say that Mm. I've given a lot of like presentations, because I work a corporate job, so I I give Mm. a lot of presentations. I don't get stage fright. So it doesn't matter how many people I'm speaking in front of, whether it's like one person or a thousand or more. Yeah. I just never have those jitters. Mm. Uh, so maybe that's one thing that helped me. But honestly, when I started podcasting, I hearing my own voice sounded weird, looking at right. myself sounded right. weird, and I had to do a like I had some videos where I was just it's more like a monologue, and I have to like do a lot of takes. I'm talking to you right now and it's a lot easier, but if I have to, I'm just very self-conscious still. So mm. no, to answer your question, no, I, I don't have uh, a, a huge backlog of it, but I kind of mm. see this project as a way to, to practice basically.
0: I think that's a, that's a really, I think that's a really good, uh, so sort of like, uh, primary or secondary, like goal of a project like this is to be like, okay, I'm, I'm making this thing. How, how is the act of making this thing also enriching me personally, how is it making me better as opposed to, I think what a lot of people like come into making projects, uh, they come into it with the perspective of, I wanna make this great thing, this project, and it will exist in a vacuum and it won't change me. And I I just wanna get this work out here and I want people to praise it and then for me to go away. I like the, the, uh, the consistent sort of like, how how is this actually going to positively impact my life by engaging in this activity? I think that's dope, and I think the um, the like giving presentations I'd argue is potentially better in terms of creating content than uh, performance is. Obviously, if you like have performed for you know film or something like that before and you're very good in front of a camera, that's excellent. However, in the sort of like line of creative work that's currently the most popular on youtube in terms of you know the stuff that uh, the algorithm tends to uh push people uh to watch more is really long form very information heavy stuff that's just presented in an engaging way which that is the very definition of you know a, a corporate presentation you've got to engage an audience but fundamentally you're giving them information um so like i think that i think there's certainly a lot of um cross-pollination between those, uh, between content and between uh, uh, presentation for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think what's great about performance in your case is that you, you do feed off the audience, right? I guess I could you could say that in presentations you do as well because you kind of read their reactions and their cues. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like subtle things in the crowd that makes you want to say more or less about something. So uh, yep. I, I guess as a performer, like you have your lines, but you also feed off of the energy of the crowd. And, uh, mm. yeah,
0: I, yeah. I think that, no, that's very interesting. Cause it's like the, the, um, oh, what do you call it? When, when you are performing in a live space and you've got people listening to you, you can sort of intuit, shall I shut up now? Because people aren't really here for it. Or are they engaged enough that I can maybe push a bit further with this point and expand a bit more when you're mm. making content? you got no idea if you're being the most boring person alive because you are you are sat in a room alone unless you have someone there sort of feeding back to you actively you have no idea if like this is a uh, a completely useless rant that no one's going to want to listen to or the most interesting thing that um that they're going to hear all year and fundamentally it can be both of those things at the same time for different people um i remember when my when i made my um uh my video about the cats movie for example um, the majority of the videos that I make, I am recording on, in of myself. Sometimes I'll have a cam op um, helping me out, um, like I did with my um, uh, my Patreon video where I begged people for money, uh, which I still think is one, weirdly one of the funniest things I've ever made. I enjoyed that um, one a lot. But with the cap, Yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. I just, you know what? Be honest. Give me money. <laughs> oh, <laughs> please. sorry. One second. <laughs>
1: Sorry, that's my wife. She's going out. So uh, well, I'm going to cut that part out. So please that's, continue. I'm sorry. That, yeah.
0: That's right. I What I, I was going to say on that was like, I, uh, so um, uh, my partner, uh, Sri Lankan, um, and occasionally when like having a conversation um, with like uh, her and her parents, she'll uh, 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 speak Singhala. Um, and it's always very interesting when you have, you know, like Singhala, 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 and then Word in English, <laughs> and, single single single. and it's like, the same with that. In, so... in our case, Mandarin. Yes. Yeah, yes. Mandarin, 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 Mandarin. shoebox, Mandarin, Mandarin. Mandarin. <laughs> I, I just, oh, there's, there's something about that that just yes. my Brain. It's like way.
1: watching. Uh, yeah, if you ever watched like dub sports games, like you know, it's like a bunch of like, like Spanish <laughs> yes. NBA broadcasts. Like, it's like all the things I understand. And it's like Kobe Bryant, and then you know,
0: <laughs> exactly, like, yeah. <laughs> and you go like, I know that one. I know that one. Yes. I
1: understand. Yes. Bingo. Um, um, and, uh, I, I, but you know what the thing that's really good about what you're doing is that you did try to get feedback as a YouTuber, right? Cuz you 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 said you kind of run the video by people like you actually rely on more than just the t- the terrible terrible world of like YouTube commenters to 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 yeah. t- to give you feedback. Like I feel mm. you almost had kind of a a mastermind group. I don't know if you would call it that, but it's like you had a circle of people mm. that that you asked for feedback on and yeah. that helped you iterate and that has to be helpful right
0: oh no absolutely fully fully i think that, and this is one of the things that like anyone uh, if anyone was like uh has asked me like oh what well, if i'm trying to make a video what should i do it's like well make it and then show it to your friends having having people who initially can like have a look at the video um or a look at a script as well i like again i came from like a comedy writer to get a performance poetry background um in terms of like the the writing that i was making And one of the fundamental things that was drilled into us both in i did a creative writing degree but also i did a lot of creative writing just sort of on my own terms um, with like comedy society and stuff like that was you've got to get feedback because fundamentally if you put on if you write a sketch and nobody has a look at it and you put it on at a comedy night it's gonna bomb like there are you are going to write jokes that only appeal to you or people who think exactly like you you're going to overindulge a bit You don't know when to cut yourself off when it comes to uh, a running gag, for example. How many times do you want to do a callback to that thing that happened 40 seconds ago? Is it really that funny? Um, You have to show it to multiple people and trim it down and down and down and down and down. Um, And certainly sort of like earlier on, um uh that became uh uh like a, a fundamental linchpin in my ability to like make a good video um the like the goblins thing i showed that to um uh my friend Ron, who like uh we do like we have been friends for ages and ages and ages we started playing magic the gathering together and uh we worked on okay what are the bits that are like a bit indulgent one of the jokes that are going to be a bit too niche kind of stuff like that um despite the fact that it was kind of a spur of the moment thing where i just wanted to talk about goblins and i didn't really know what else to do so i just shoved a bunch of stuff together and turned it into a script um but yeah i think like getting feedback and getting people to actually look at a video before you put it out if you're like if it's one of the earlier ones that you're putting out onto your channel a really really good uh, idea because your friends are going to be able to give you so much more constructive feedback and also not even necessarily give you it directly, but it's that same thing we were talking about. Of like if you're performing in front of an audience, you know, the vibe of like, oh, this bit's going on for too long. Um Like if you show anybody a YouTube video, you know, that horrible sinking feeling where like the thing that you thought they were going to laugh at comes and goes and they did not laugh and the video still has two minutes to go and they're just sitting there. And having that be your video is crushing, but also makes you like forces you to be like, okay, how do I make this bit funnier? Or do I just get rid of it at all? Um, Or like, how do I make this piece of information better? Um, So, you know, having people to talk to early on is so, so important.
1: Are you a lot more confident now? Like, you know, in 2022, 23, if you make a video oh, and you put no. jokes in there?
0: Jesus. Are you
1: <laughs> no. I'm, I'm so, so curious so about hard. that because I feel like humor is one of the hardest things on on the planet period, right? Because yeah. like I'm laughing when I hear the jokes in your video, but when you're writing it, when you're re-recording it or recording it, you have to have a lot of confidence that it's going to land because as you said, there's no there's no actual person that you get feedback in that moment as you're making the video. So how do you? I mean, are, are you so you're are you still reliant on 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 certain folks to give you feedback? Or you, you just have this or you just have this confidence that it's going to work? Oh,
0: p- Christ, no, I'm not confident in anything I put out. I've been working on a video for three years because I'm so unconfident about how it's gonna turn out. Um, but like, no, I there's no, like more humiliating feeling than sitting in an empty room and recording a joke. And letting it happen, and then sitting there and just thinking to yourself, "This is fucking garbage. <laughs> this sucks. This bit is not funny." This because how can jokes be funny
1: if you if you run it through your head like a hundred times? That's what I want to know, right? Because you mm. you had to have done it a hundred times or more.
0: Oh, funny! Like uh, the coming up with like different bits, or coming up with different funny things to say, and also like finding the. The places to put them is very important. If you're working, like, I work on a lot of long form stuff and have been, and it's the thing I enjoyed the most doing. Um, so, sort of like, my playwright background coming through there. But the uh, trying to pace it out so that it goes information, information, bit of levity, information, information, bit of levity is quite difficult in the writing process. And you only really notice it when you're recording it. Because on a page, there's, it's not highlighted like joke here, serious section here, but when you're sitting down and recording, it's like, oh, I just told three jokes in about like two minutes worth of recording, whereas the previous section had 15 minutes of just dry analysis. I need to change that um, because like if this was a comedy routine, you would hear people like coughing and like checking their watch. Sure. There's, like, a, there's a tempo or section.
1: there's a rhythm in which you have to do
0: things, right? Yeah. Pacing yeah. is so, so important. Um, but yeah, like, and having having someone in a room whilst you're, it, like, reading a bit out to them, sort of running it by them, is really, really useful and really important. It's the best way to, like, get that immediate vibe of, did you enjoy that or are you just letting, letting me talk about it? Um, the, I can't show it to you because it's technically a spoiler for the video that I am making, um, but I have a uh, a conspiracy theory board that is currently perched up against the wall of my living room uh, that has all of my the video i'm working on is called mill Mil versus discard exploring the philosophical differences between the two mechanics as they appear within the game narratively and the board that's there is sort of like the final board what the final board of the video is going to look like so i've got my girlfriend i sat her on my sofa and i put the board like on uh i think i've got like a tripod over there somewhere and i set it up and i'm like cool i'm now going to explain what all of this means at you and i'm going to gauge whether or not this is like a a conclusion a worthy conclusion that i can draw from from what i'm explaining or whether or not this is just purely like masturbatory uh up my own ass bullshit that i've convinced Mm -hmm. myself is clever theory crafting so i did it and after that i knew okay the vibe was good therefore i'm not you know i'm not about to put out an hour and a half worth of like gobbledygook i'm actually going to put out something that i know at least one person who has a uh who plays magic the gathering but certainly um uh isn't like as entrenched in it as i am um at least like this is someone who could like uh gets what i'm talking about is enjoying what i'm saying is nodding along is smiling everything's good And therefore the video is good. So yeah, running, running ideas by people in person is brilliant because if you just do it on your own, you're just going to create stuff that only serves that much of the same way that, you know, your podcast is not just serving like you in terms of, oh, I want to put this out because I want to make something. But it's like, oh, I want to put this out because I want to develop my public speaking. It's like Mm -hmm. I. If I don't run it by someone, I'm just putting this out because I think it's interesting. If I run it by someone, I'm putting this out because I want people to be entertained by it. and I want to ensure that that's going to be the, uh, the reality as opposed to just being whack.
1: Is that your goal to entertain or is there is it like entertainment or entertainment juxtaposed with something inside you? How would you describe that with your videos?
0: I like, I like the term edutainment uh, when it comes to videos that are engaging, that are enjoyable to watch. You can stick on in the background whilst you're, um, you're, you know, making a chili or something like that. Uh, The the greatest compliment I have ever been given has been when people on Twitter tell me that they have my videos on in the background whilst they're doing the washing up. Perfect. That's how I want my stuff to be consumed, baby. I want to be background noise. I want to be interesting background (laughs) noise. Um, But like the... Uh, I I like the idea of utilizing a game like Magic as a lens by which to analyze different aspects of philosophy, politics, our world, materially stuff like that, or even just uh, narrative forms. You know, how can we, how can we use the uh, the War of the Spark travesty of a story that it was to talk about uh, good creative writing? Because obviously, you know, I have multiple degrees in writing. I like to think that I'm I have good. Points and ideas, um, and so like utilizing that as a lens through which we can explore something deeper than just pointing at a card and being like, "That's that's a card," and that, it does this to the game. Move it on. I that's what I aim to do. Edutainment, I think, is the one.
1: How do you feel about the YouTube game? By by game, I mean you're getting your voice out there, you're connecting mm. with people, but there's a whole framework about it. Like, you have to play the game a certain way. Um, there's a certain set of constructs that YouTube kind of incentivizes people to to follow. Like, even hmm. even stuff that, you know, I mean, it's, it's innocent enough, right? Like, you know, you got to make sure you hook them in the first 30 seconds of the video because they're not going to keep watching. That's just, like, common sense, right? But YouTube really hmm. highlights that for a lot of creators. So how, how do you feel about hmm. being part of the game
0: i think that to ace to a certain degree it is it is a means um by which i am able to uh first of like uh exercise my creativity which i'm very very happy with um uh and also do so um uh in a capacity where it leaves me a lot of time to engage with things into like you know the real world that i am passionate about be it sort of like creative pursuits or be it more um sort of like uh like uh, activist and organizational stuff um but in terms of being like part of the game fundamentally everybody has to play it in some capacity regardless of whatever uh industry or platform they end up finding themselves on there's no uh, everything is in some capacity a commodity to be produced no matter how pure an idea might be when you put it out into the world, be it, you know, be it a product like a physical thing you could hold or be it like a YouTube video, fundamentally the, uh, the base economic drive for that, for the platform that you're putting it on uh, out for or for the, you know, the company that you're making it for is profit. And as a result, you know. Uh, there's a phrase often thrown, uh, thrown around and often misused there's no ethical consumption under capitalism in a uh, similar capacity it's very difficult to engage in any kind of uh craft or any kind of uh production of any kind and still be purely ethical because fundamentally I my videos service a uh large data corporation that then will use uh at the who like have ad revenues uh ad, sorry ads bought for them by reactionary political parties or for like you know um like a uh, police or army recruitment ads I don't really have much in the way of a control over that and in a way i i it's very difficult to separate yourself from the structure that you are acting in um so I think it's like it's a begrudging reality of it, and I try as best as I can both within my work that I put out um put out and also with the work that I do outside of YouTube to try and push against it um uh, as much as i can uh, that's I think that's my perspective on like the game of YouTube for sure.
1: Was there a particular point in your life where that really crystallized for you? Like just, just the the fact that, I don't know, whether it's like the ethical consumption, no ethical consumption bit, or just how you view like your willingness to participate with a certain platform. Like was that there from day one, like that you were started to be somebody on YouTube or did it did it happen far earlier? Was there like a particular point in time where like, Did you always believe that?
0: I think, yeah, it's, for me, it's a process. No one's perspective is necessarily fixed. It is uh, always growing and always developing. I think when I started making videos, I had an inkling that there existed, like, openly reactionary characters on the internet who existed either uh, literally within the Magic the Gathering space or sort of adjacent to the Magic the Gathering space, or who had, um, very prominently existed within the Magic Gathering space, who were uh, uh, exhumed from it, thankfully, to a certain degree. Um, and I saw that sort of in contrast to that, there was a sort of a baseline, at least the sort like the concept I uh, watched like very, very early, my, early on in my career, there was like a, uh, a baseline of uh, passive rejection, but not necessarily a counter to that um you know like the idea of uh there would be people who are like openly like massively anti-feminist and uh, who would utilize their platform to uh expound all kind of uh rubbish and you know uh dunk on sjws and all of that stuff and in contrast to that you had a lot of people who were flatly against the like anti-feminism and would uh put out sort of um, uh, surface levels of like feminist analysis, or or uh, well, not even necessarily feminist analysis, but certainly like um, uh, took a feminist stance on certain things. But there wasn't that kind of hard uh, factual, if you could even call it that, counter or at least uh, coming uh, feeling like with the facsimile of facts. Um, so that was sort of something that very very early on I was aware of. I didn't think that I was going to be doing that. I thought I'd maybe make some like left leaning jokes or something like that in videos every now and again um but then as like the career sort of actually took off and i started making sort of uh uh like uh, enough money to live by it i was like well this is a phenomenal opportunity i want to like do something good with it um and so that's where like the videos like you know my york moth video which was a big sort of like anti-eugenics thing, uh, which, you know, the the sort of like pseudo-scientific, uh, uh, not even pseudo-scientific, but like the anti-science of quote-unquote scientific racism um, is unfortunately very prevalent within reactionary uh, spaces and is amplified without necessarily being countered. And it is being countered, but not within sort of like pop culture, subcultures, you know? Like, there are people who you can watch, who will talk to you about, you know, and lay out the facts about why, um, uh, like, the, the science behind racism is hooey and fully incorrect and can go through the statistics of that, but sometimes those people aren't able to be reached because the people who are being indoctrinated into the other side of it are being done, uh, uh having it done within their sort of like, uh, media spaces. And so they're kind of trapped in that, uh, fandom, uh, ecosystem slowly being drip thread reactionary ideas. So I thought, Hey, if I could do something to like, maybe provide like a material counter to that, I'll be pretty good. Um, and I th- hope I've done a decent job of it. I don't know. I've got a few people who have, um, uh, leave comments and the like, and send me emails every now and again being like, Hey, this was a great video that I sent to such and such. Who's never wanted to learn about, uh, I think like the p- police abolition and anarchism video that I made, you know, people who never wanted to hear anything about, um, politics, but were slowly being, uh, drip Fred, uh, politics from the uh, other side of sort of like the political, uh, spectrum. Um, I sent this to them and it. Elucidated a lot of the uh, misconceptions that they had. Uh, so thanks for that. So I'm glad that things like that exist for sure. Uh, yeah, that's. I'm sorry. I, re- I realized I've been rambling in this interview. I can only apologize. No, the, it's
1: all about the ramble. I mean, we can't really have a good conversation unless there's a fair degree of rambling and like handyman, like trying to repair my uh, <laughs> my washroom. Integral. S- integral mushrooms, right? uh, No mushrooms? washroom. Yes, washroom. Oh, uh- Oh, I was going to uh, say. Did you hear? Did you, mushroom? No, no, no. <laughs> He's not trying to fix my mushrooms. Uh, <laughs> you got mushroom. fucking
0: Mario over there, Jesus.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, this is totally fine. Uh, just, just to address that. I mean, I, I just want, I just want all these interviews to be like, just be yourself, right? There's no, mm. I don't want there to be like a ton of artifice, and I sound pretty. I try to sound like myself. Like, like if if I sound hard on myself, it's just because I always am. I'm just very like self deprecating and self critical, and that's that's what drives me. But um, <laughs> but kind of going back to you because uh, it is about you. Damn uh, it, damn it! I thought I got away. <laughs> you get a lot of feedback. Is there one particular feedback that maybe stands out, or or a, or or a theme, a thematic? Type of feedback because you had mentioned, for example, people discovering certain topics because of your videos, and that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Like right? you're basically just lighting a light for for folks that are, have never thought about certain things, and they're now they want to explore. That's huge. Right? But is there one that stands out above the rest?
0: Um I think uh, just touch on the like the the lighting and light. I'm I I would say that um, specifically what I think my stuff does isn't isn't that. I think everyone has the, uh, the capacity to, um, come to like the, uh, the conclusions of, uh, be it, you know, um, a political conclusion or, or a scientific conclusion or something like that. Sometimes you just need like a little signpost to point you in the way. Um, and I think that's broadly speaking why I think my work does. Um, and I don't, I, 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 th- 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 I do get occasionally a few comments which are like, this was the thing that made me X, Y, and Z, or like this is the thing that made me a leftist, and I I appreciate those comments, but fundamentally it's like no, it it really, really wasn't. It was the f- it was the final uh, straw on the camel's back that broke uh, your realization. Mm-hmm. Like it was mm-hmm. the last uh, quantitative thing that provided the qualitative change of your outlook. Um, because that person
1: much... had to have wanted to go there in the first place. And you're just Precisely, you're just yeah. a signpost, right? Or
0: exactly the the condition, the the material conditions in which that person lives and uh, the social conditions of which they've grown up were right for that to be the correct thing for them to hear at that exact time. But fundamentally, it was just one of many things that led to that conclusion. Um, so that's I'd, I think that sometimes um, entertainers and uh, particularly uh, sort of like media personalities and YouTube and Twitch get far too much credit as being, you know, this is the person that uh, made me a socialist or whatever. It's like, "Mm, no, it was, this was one part of the puzzle, you know? Um, So like, that's, that's my perspective on that sort of like, uh, on the lighting thing. In terms of the feedback? uh probably moderate is the is the main thing that people people seem to be critical of um i am trying i really am i'm running as fast as i can mentally um but i guess like i'm trying to think of other other pieces i guess like i i guess i take everything very personally um and what one of the worst pieces one of the things that really sticks out at me which has almost nothing to do with anything was I often get not often but like it when it when I get it it feels very often. I often get comments about my weight. Um, And I have been like in my what? uh, What
1: does it have to do with anything?
0: Well, so in my D&D video, um, videos, God, that was such a long shoot. Um, But like in those videos, I cosplayed as barbarians and fighters and stuff by just I didn't have my shirt on and I just wrote I am a wizard on my chest because like I forgot to order a wizard's costume and the (laughs) deadline for the video coming out was coming up Um, Uh and stuff like that put a bit of face paint on and there were a number of comments on that which were uh, along the lines of like wow you need to eat and uh, that stuff got to me I've always Mm -hmm. been incredibly incredibly skinny I'm a lot. I'm a lot less skinny than I used to be, and still getting those comments does mm-hmm. irk me quite a lot. Um, other th- mm. other things I can sort of take on the chin and take it as critical feedback, like this gag didn't work, or you said this and linked to this source, but I actually think this source is incorrect. Um, and I go back. But well, that look one
1: felt felt like it's really personal, like it's yeah. directed at you. It's some sort of uh, uh, can I say this like a rejection of you as hmm. a yeah, as yeah. a human being, almost like you shouldn't be like this.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I agree. It feels, it's just a shitty thing to um to comment on. I think broadly speaking, if if there's a piece of feedback about a video that has nothing to do with the video itself, that stuff really annoys me. Um, mm. like the uh, that like uh like people like bring up things that are completely unrelated to the topic I'm talking about, um or commenting on like very, very small um, like issues or, you know, for example, there might be like a um, a graphic that comes on screen and I say the name of a card, but it's a different card. And it's like, you know, I might, I I say corpse puppet and it's corpse puppeteer. And there'll be three comments that like "At, at 37 seconds, you said corpse puppet. It's actually corpse puppeteer. It's like, cool, cool. Fuck you! I stopped it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, I missed. It Doesn't one. matter. Those yeah. are the. Yeah. It 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 doesn't matter, but it annoys me because it's like it's it's the hate
1: watchers. It's like the uh, fact checkers of YouTube, basically. It's why, funny, right?
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But it, it I know I, it frustrates me because it's like that comment could have been. A comment about either how good the video is or how bad the video is. It could have been mm-hmm. a piece of genuine actionable feedback or it could have been a really lovely compliment that I would have read and just it would have made my day. And it's a it's a nitpick about a graphical error. It's like, you you motherfucker, you frustrate <laughs> me.
1: Yeah. Ooh, but that's the game, right? Because I feel like commenters are not even writing it for the YouTuber per se. They're just writing it so that other people see it. Or they're just writing it because yeah. they're they're bored so like they might have something hateful mm. to say even but maybe the other 99% that they didn't say is that they actually yeah. love the video so but it's it's really hard because it's like you can't you can't I'm not trying to trivialize what you're what you're saying because like you can't oh, no, 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 get that feedback in the moment and not have that visceral reaction because we're we're human beings right so
0: yeah exactly it's like uh it's like would be the equivalent of like i've just done a poetry set and i thought it did really really good and someone came up someone would come up to me and be like um well that was that was pretty good you did um did some a bit stutter when you said bewitched though didn't you that was a bit weird and like be like what and that that'll the be thing the thing you remember for the whole thing for the whole right. th- the whole night or yeah. yeah i some i will say on the topic of the youtube game i do sometimes make purposeful mistakes to bait those comments because comments are good for the algorithm uh which is deeply funny <laughs> when i see that because i see that i go haha you idiot you've fallen for my trap falling I for the trap like a fiddle yes, yes. <laughs> that
1: that is actually clever i like that that's that 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 is cool that is cool um mm-hmm. So, can you tell me a bit about your um, your writing process? Because you know, obviously, you've been working on "Mill Versus Discard" for a couple of years, and you have—I'm sure sure you have a back burner of things all the time. Uh, We'll get into Patreon in a bit, but like, I I feel like you're in a good space right now where you do have a little bit of latitude to explore your ideas, and you don't feel compelled to like, I have to do a video every week uh, or every every month, even. So how how does your creative, what's your creative process like at at this point?
0: So I'm just looking down because like on the topic of the rest of this card, I want to just quickly show you the reason why it's taken me so long to make this video. Um, is there a storyboard there? Oh, no. So this. All right. So keep that in your mind. Keep that. Okay. And oh, oh, shitty death. And this, those two piles of books, that's my reading list. This is what I've read for this bloody video essay.
1: Oh, to serve the video. I saw your reading list on Twitter and I wasn't sure I didn't know why you posted that and okay, so you're actually doing this kind of research so you can bring the information in these books into the video.
0: Absolutely. It's taken me a really, really long time. Turns out. Judith Butler is bloody difficult to read if you're not a philosophy major. Um, like <laughs> the same with Foucault and oh, there's so many there's so many uh, books that I have just put off because I needed to like understand madness and memory and all that stuff. Um, uh-huh. But when it comes to when it comes to a video like this, with like more of us discard, um, I've also just realised there's like three extra books that aren't there that should be um, that I think might be in a bag because I've still been reading them. Um, the writing process starts very much at uh, what is the uh, what it, the, the question of for example a Mil- discard what is the philosophical difference between these two narratives like we know the mechanical difference between these two um mechanics uh, within the gameplay of the game but we don't what is the sort of, like the the narrative around them what do they mean what does it mean to be discarded within a wizard's duel? what does it mean to be milled all that? So it starts very much as like a question like that, or it starts as there's this broad political topic or broad scientific topic or whatever that I want to talk about, be it um, uh, anarchism, be it uh, eugenics, be it uh, how bad the Cats movie is, something like that. This sort of broad, very important uh, topic that I want to discuss and trying to then utilize magic as a means of explaining it and also guiding my um uh analysis of it uh so like it w- starts with like a broad concept and then i sit down for probably a month and i just read and i highlight and i take notes and i write things down on little napkins and then i write contradictory things down and i cross out the first one and then i that i was right the first time and cross out the second one um and eventually that will become a hodgepodge of notes and bits of paper that i sit with for about a week and scream at trying to work out how to turn it into like an actual narrative but then so like the um the the playwriting stuff kicks in it's like okay i'm effectively writing a monologue and this is the conclusion i want my audience to draw from it what is the best way of Uh, getting that across, what's going to be constructive, what's going to be funny, what's going to be effective. The dialectic that I ran with Domri and myself when I was doing the anarchism video, I thought was a really useful way of exploring a lot of the, because I put that out sort of during the, um, uh, the BLM uprisings that were happening in, you know, uh, the US and UK and other places around the world as well, um, and so there was a lot of questions and a lot of misinformation about um, uh, what an- who anarchists are, what anarchists believe, what is prison abolition, is it this fanciful utopian notion, or, you know, actually having a, good, like, uh, a conversation and using Domry as a means of pitting those um uh sort of like uh talking points back against sort of reality uh which works really really well because domri is categorically the most like perfect misunderstanding of anarchism possible like this person who wants to destroy society and is going to follow this god's dragon, who seems to proclaim that that's going to be his goal as well. Like there are so many, in, even in that tiny sentence, there are so many fundamental flaws when you compare that with the, you know, the reality that Kropopkin Kid and Goldman and Tavio uh, and stuff like that were talking about and wrote about, and indeed, actually existing like anarchist movements and uh, and the such, what they believe in and what they want to do. Uh, and so that was the the process of like working out how to tell this story and how to get this information across becomes like its own week's worth of work. And then it's just the boring job of sitting down and writing it. Um, my like, my us well, Discord video is currently on 16,000 words. Um, my Lorwyn video was pushing uh, 20,000. Um, and I just keep writing until eventually I'm like, I, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> and then I sit in front of a camera and hope that whatever I've made is funny. That's pretty much the process. And how, how
1: do you get those 16,000 or 20,000 words down to the final amount that are, goes in the video? I inclined? assume it's not that many words in the Lauren video, right? The one that we saw publicly.
0: Oh, baby, there are more. I don't stop writing. I, um, I, I will, like, hang on. Where is my, script? my scripts? Oh, they're everywhere. This, they're everywhere. Can, okay. What, they're just can, all around you. What you can yeah. see here is incredibly neat and tidy. Everything over there, Nightmare uh-huh. World. Nightmare okay. World. Just pay for it everywhere.
1: Inside um, the writer's studio right here. Yeah. R- r- yeah.
0: Exactly, right? Inside um, so the very cold writer's studio. <laughs> um, but like, I the Lurin video, um, uh, in the process of editing it, I will realize that, oh, there's this cool point I want to make. And then I will go and I will write an extra 2,000 words on it. Like the... Um, uh, in the law and video, I realised that there were some aesthetic similarities between uh, some of the art in Shadowmoor and some of the art of uh, uh, Francisco de Goya, uh, who wrote, uh, who wrote, who painted, you know, on devouring and sun and stuff like that. And uh, I sat down, I paused production on the thing, I sat down and wrote a script about that and condensed it down as much as I could and shoved it in the video. Same with Mel vs. Discard. I like, I will be recording myself and suddenly realise this doesn't make any sense. But it would make sense if I wrote a few extra pages about it and then recorded that so I pause everything I go write it I print it off um and I start recording it then I very rarely put down the pen until I have uploaded the video to YouTube uh and sometimes that can that can lead to two hour long videos that have (laughs) rambling sections about um impressionist uh post-civil war um art but sometimes Sometimes those sections are good and the best part of it.
1: Have you con- are you currently or have you already done this for your patrons, which is like just basically bonus or extra material that didn't make their way into the, the public video? Do you let other people see it somehow?
0: The, um, the implication that I edit my work at all <laughs> and that I don't <laughs> leave it a bloated mess is, uh, is very kind. My patrons do get I um, I've been really I struggle with Patreon because it's like the there's a lot of pressure that comes from um, it's sort of a simultaneous like it's relaxing to a certain degree that I have like the patrons that I have who have who are donating me money every single month to give me time to make these books um, as good as they can be that's sort of materially relaxing but internally it becomes very very stressful because it's like I suddenly I don't have you know an amorphous uh, blob Mm. of subscribers Mm. that I will just put the video out and they'll enjoy it or not enjoy it and then I'll go and make something else for them Um, I have this group of people who are like actively every single month giving me a little bit of money and Eventually it's like how, I don't know, the, the fear that, um, if I take too long on a thing that these people will be become like frustrated, um, mm-hmm. and that I will sort of like, uh, I'll lose their trust. Um, and also I find it really difficult to necessarily pass being the, like the reason why people are like in a space, like, um, I've got a Patreon discord server. Um, yeah. and I, I genuinely struggle with the idea that. There is a Discord server of people who are there, like in, more or less for me. Um, yeah, you know, like, they, are your, me they are your they are your fans. Like
1: they're they're literally there for you, right? Yeah, they're watching your move yeah. and what you do. Yes, <laughs> sorry, that well, sorry yeah, if that well, sounded well, creepy. Sweet. But... Put it put it
0: like that. To scare <laughs> me more, I know you. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Where are they? Um, I'm only I'm only no, saying that
1: because I feel that despite being like one percent of your your scale that, that feeling that, or I can't speak for you, but for me, like that feeling that I have to deliver, right. That you have Mm -hmm. to, you have to live up to some, somebody's expectations and in a way that's impossible, but in a way that you, it's constantly in your mind, like in the back Mm -hmm. of your mind. And it's just, there's this kind of like, it used to be like publisher gave you an advance, you know, you got to write this book, you got to, you got to deliver, but now it's like, you know, I don't know how yeah. many patrons you have, but it could be like a thousand people all with different wants it's and desires saying, like, here's yeah. a micro bit of that. And uh, would you please deliver something? I mean, they're not saying that to you, but I, I feel that. So. No,
0: I think I think you are quite right. It's actually um like that in of itself is a oh, one second. Hang on. It's a um, concept. gung um a Hansoi uh Psychopolitics sort of auto exploitation where uh you you become um your own sort of like social exploiter almost. You put the um uh the deadlines and the pressure on yourself um mm. uh and as a result uh sort of like internally you have this sort of contradiction between your desire to be sort of free of exploitation but also your need to ex- almost exploit yourself in order to uh, in order to survive. Um, there's some conclusions of this book that I don't fully agree with, but fundamentally, like I think that's a very interesting idea. And some there's so I...
1: a term for that: auto-exploitation. That, that's auto uh, exploitation. coined by the, yeah. the writer. Yeah.
0: Um. Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure it's uh, coined by the writer. Um. Uh. But yeah. Like it's. I. I highly recommend this book. It's a very interesting um piece of. Is it postmodern? I think it's probably postmodern. Anyway. Enough about that. Um, But the, uh, yeah, like that pressure, it's sort of, yeah, it's simultaneously like a lot of space, but also a lot of pressure. So the one thing that I know that I'm able to do um, for my patrons, so I'm very, again, I struggle with doing like events or things. I don't really know how to do that. I can't, I don't have the time necessarily to make purely patron-specific content because I'm so frazzled making big things anyway. Um, but Mm -hmm. the one thing I can do is I give them all access to my scripts early on. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I've done, when I've done my final draft, I go, here's a Google link. Literally, it doesn't matter if you give me a dollar a month or $50 a month. Um, it doesn't matter. Here is the script. You can view it, obviously. You can also comment on it. And that's like leading back into that sort of like that mastermind of a group of people coming back and feedbacking on stuff. Um, that's been really, really useful because there's been a few scripts that i put out that people have gone, this bit seems not quite right. Like there's a bit of analysis that's gone awry here, or they'll be like, this is great. If you're looking for more information to sort of like solidify this point, here's a link and they'll drop that in my comments. That is so so tremendous. So, so helpful for me. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm i love it to death um but it's not only good for me but i also hope that it's appreciated by by you know my lovely lovely patrons without whom i would not be able to do any of this um <laughs> yeah. but like I, and hope i hope that like people view it as a, a a way that like i i respect what their perspectives are on these topics or on you know questions of magic the gathering or politics and stuff like that um so yeah patron is a patrons are a weird a weird beast but I'm a lot I'm comfortable presently. And that makes me quite makes me quite happy. And it's meant I've managed to finally crack on with some of the stuff that I've been promising the broad uh, subscribers um, that I've been promising to make for them for a very, very long time.
1: What was your thought process behind starting the Patreon in the first place? Did you study it? Did you run some projections on you know, this could give me a bit of a cushion? Like, what what was it? Was it a spur of the moment? Like what was going through your mind when you started it and continuing to maintain it?
0: I um, it was during the time that the Goblin video was sort of blowing up, and um, I, I got like three or four comments which were like, "Do you have a Patreon?" I was like, "What the fuck do you mean? Do I have a Patreon? I'm not a YouTuber." Oh wait, oh wait, I might be. Shit. Um, so it was it was very much people being like, "We would like to support the creation of stuff like this." Um, I, I ran no projections. I did the barest amount of research. I didn't even know how to set up a Discord. I didn't even use Discord before um, before Patreon, but it seemed like the thing that was done. Um, and I thankfully have uh, a team of fucking phenomenal Discord mods um, who I love very dearly, who make it such a brilliant, brilliant place. Um, and are very, very on it with a lot of stuff. Love them to bits. Um, but, like... I, I, it was just like a lot of a lot of my stuff is just seat of the pants. I don't really know what I, I'm doing and I think a lot of people seem to know what they're doing and I can't tell if they're just really no, good No, it could at just be a revisionist or... <laughs> history.
1: I'll tell you that. If anyone knows what we're really doing, then uh, you know, I have a book to sell you. <laughs> How to be mm, a millionaire or something. Mm, exactly, right? I, yeah.
0: yeah. No, fully, fully. Um, like, have you, like, what about you? Have you uh, do you have a Patreon? Have you considered putting one up?
1: i have a patreon i have a i have a grand total of uh 12 or 13 patrons
0: um the weird thing about what i'm doing is that i
1: I am like you you mentioned you being like kind of i don't know like a fringe youtuber or maybe that's how i'm interpreting it i'm like the fringiest of the fringe like i am a niche inside a niche like my humans and magic is not even about magic as you can tell you know from this uh conversation we had so far and that's that's what I enjoy. That's what I love. But I, I constantly have this like a lot of my questions to you are actually questions for myself too all the time, which is kind of like, um, mm. why shouldn't should I just go make <laughs> fucking commander gameplay videos or something because I don't enjoy <laughs> that? But there's got to be some sort of balance, like, cause like when mm. I go too deep into, like, um, I don't know if you know who Noxious is, like a uh, Noxious live, he's yes, a yes. Hearthstone Magic personality. And we did an episode where we basically just talked about the evils of, like, social media and why he's quitting social media to go become a nurse, which he is now. He's studying uh, nursing because he's so tired of the algorithm. Um, So it's like, Mm. I love those episodes, but nobody Mm. listens to and watches those episodes. So it's like I'm doing that for me, for him, and that's pretty much it. Maybe, like, five people. So it's like I'm constantly thinking about, like, I love doing this for fun, but how long do I keep going along this trajectory right because like I'm not I'm not the most jealous kind of person but you know I'll see a commander channel pop up and it, it has like you know five thousand ten thousand subscribers and that's what the people want but mm. that's not what I want to produce and and so there's constantly this like, Inner tension Like I yeah. just love talking to people, man. Like like as you can tell, this is just an excuse to talk to people. Like humans and magic yeah. is just like just so I can interview people and and learn how you, uh, Spice 8 Rack, uh Connor, like how you <laughs> think. Like that's what I care about. I don't care about anything other than the mindset. Like mm-hmm. how I wanna I wanna know how you create your content, like how you got to where you are. Um and everybody's unique, everybody's different. So yeah. that's what I want to be. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm a tiny as a result, I'm a tiny um part of this like this thing. Like mm. I'm not using like magic fully as a vehicle to yeah. to deliver my points about socialism or or um or eugenics or like there's nothing grandiose of what I'm doing. I just want to surface the human aspect and I feel like that's like limiting and this is a really fucking long monologue, but No, no, um, no, no, no. it's great. It's like I constantly struggle with that. Like, Mm. I don't know. Like, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm like 51% happy with what I do, but there's always something that maybe it's like the self criticality. It's like, Mm. you know, should I just be pivoting and doing commander videos?
0: I don't know. I think the, I think first off, the idea that like, what I do is in any capacity grandiose. I use a collectible card game to occasionally make jokes where the hammer and sickle flies on the screen behind me for two and a half seconds. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it with, within specifically YouTube. I don't think I'm doing anything particularly special. And additionally, like having uh, viewing like content as it needs to be something. It needs to like have some impact or it needs to be very popular or something like that. The moment that you try and chase that specifically, I think, is the moment that you will fall out of love with what you are doing. If you try and do something based solely on popularity, not only, like, is popularity incredibly fleeting. Yes, Commander is incredibly popular um, uh, on YouTube right now. But, you know, most uh, of the markets, lots of people realize Commander's very popular, lots of Commander channels pop, uh, pop up. Uh, sort of views get split, Commander videos start getting less views, all that stuff, yada, 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 yada. It's not necessarily a zero-sum game, but certainly, you know, if there are five Commander channels, more video- uh, more views are going to be going to them than if there are 500, you know? Um, but, like, chasing something based not on what you want to do, but more so based on that's what you think other people want to see... It's it's just gonna kill the soul of it. And I think that a something like this existing, even if you know, the video that you did from Noxious, even if that is just for two people, you know, like that conversation you are still getting something out of that there is a certain use value in in that production as you said like we've said multiple times you know it's all about in, uh improving your uh personal like um public speaking but it's also learning about you know the t- tools of the trade and stuff like that and also getting a perspective on the even like the perspective on outside of youtube and what maybe exists uh after it and after social media and stuff like that it doesn't matter if that gets three views or three million. Fundamentally, it's still the same thing that you've made, and what mm-hmm. you get out of that um, needs to be something other than views and mm-hmm. money. Because if you chase views and money, you're just going to end up fully disappointed. Like if, so, you, if you make stuff yeah. wanting views and you don't get the views, you're going to feel horrible. If you make stuff that you love and doesn't get the views, you've made something that you love, and if it does get the views, woo! You know?
1: Yes. Yes, that's it's because, a good buy, ooh, That's a good conclusion. That that is an excellent woo. Like, uh, it is a good byproduct. And don't get me wrong. Like, intellectually, I understand that. And you know, as I said, I do this thing. It's more for like my own fulfillment. And uh, the way I see it is, I can't control how the market responds to what I do. So I can only yeah. control the inputs that I have, which is like I do things to the best of my ability, to my own interests, and I, I think about things not as like I need to hit a certain target with a video or with an episode it's more about like am i getting something on the side out of it am i uh, am i hmm. learning something interesting by talking to my guests, which for example this i i'm getting a ton like even if this was <laughs> yeah. not released out into the public world i felt like this was really fun and this is a good use of my my time hopefully it's not a waste of your time but i feel like it's no, 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 it's, no, it's been wonderful. really it's been really fun um but at, on the other hand there's this kind of like thing in me which is kind of The greed, right? Which is like, Mm. if I'm doing this, I want to get as many people on the train because Mm. I'm already doing it. So why not try to get more people on the train? Like if I can spend a little bit more effort on the intro or marketing it or the thumbnail Mm. or I have a different voice now. Uh, You know,
0: (laughs) I I was just going with it. I was like, oh, this is a train voice. It's getting deeper. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, it's the train conductor voice. So if I can, (laughs) if I can put a little bit more like oomph on this. Like Mm. if I can like technique it a little bit more, maybe I'll get like a little bit more people to listen to it. And that's going to be good. Right. Because Mm. I feel like you don't, it's kind of like a little bit of touching on what you said earlier. It's like, you don't, you're never in this world. You're never doing hundred percent of what you want to do. There's no such thing for me as like pure idealism. Like, cause I have to live, I have to make a salary. I have to, I have to survive. So it's like, obviously there's certain things i i can do and i or within my parameters so it's like but within that i still want to get as many people onto the train as mm. as possible so that's the part of me that is tough yeah
0: i think I no know. it's a very it's a very difficult thing to contend with and i can say that like the um it doesn't necessarily go away um i'm sure other people have like said as much but like I remember and it's never never enough, right?
1: Like you could have 2 million subs today and it's, it'll never be enough. Um, I'll be comparing myself to the
0: person. Oh, no, 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 you're quite, no, you're quite right. It's exactly what I was going to say. You'll be comparing yourself to the person with 3 million subs. And when you get there, you'll be comparing yourself to the person with 5 million subs and all of that. It's, it's difficult to know that, hey, if this doesn't get many views, I'm still happy with what the the process of learning that I have um, achieved. By making this video, like all of these things that I've read about psychotherapy, about philosophy, about uh, uh, economic theory, all of that, I am a smarter person as a result of doing all of this work. And if the video did not get any views, fundamentally, I have benefited. It's very difficult to know that and then contend with the fact that if this doesn't get any many views, I'm going to fucking punch someone because I worked really <laughs> bloody hard on this goddamn video. Um, it's. <sighs> It, it is it is a difficult thing to contend with. And also, like, financially as well, which fundamentally it all, always comes down to in some capacity, um, uh, how does this sort of, like, uh, relate to my ability to continue to live um, and do so in, like, a fulfilling and also, you know, food for way. <laughs> um, it's quite difficult to try and put that aside, um, which is why I think the, the folks who try and, like, I guess, like, try and make... Uh, trying to sort of like go into YouTube thinking I'm going to make something off of this and I'm going to put my all into pushing this ship out and in doing so cut the ties I have to the mainland, as it were. I think that I always get very worried when I see people do that without the sort of like uh, the guarantee that there is sort of like a trajectory that they are necessarily following. Um, Because fundamentally, like if that does not necessarily financially work out then what you've done is you've taken something that you love and you're passionate about and you've poisoned it because for whatever reason could be, you know, it could be a trick of the algorithm or it could be something that's genuinely like uh, actionable feedback that could have happened to the video or your stuff or your marketing or what have you. You've poisoned that thing because it didn't work out at that time that mm-hmm. that deeply worries me um, and it's again that's sort of like that commodification of um, hobbies uh, like Magic the Gathering weirdly as time is going on I, I'm, I enjoy it less and less I still love playing Commander and I will never mm. make Commander content because I know that the moment I start making Commander content Commanders not going to be fun oh, you, you want to keep them separate like your, your, now, your
1: enjoyment and you've got and, you've got to
0: keep it separate yeah like I, yeah. I, I play Warhammer I'm never making a motherfucking Warhammer video in my life, not only because it looks like it'd be a nightmare to make, but also because that's the thing that I do for fun. The moment that yeah. that becomes the thing that I'm chasing profit from, it becomes a commodity. I become alienated from not only it, but also my enjoyment of it. It just becomes another economical process. Um, so, yeah, like it, it is so difficult to pass that um, mm. and it never really goes away. But that has more to do with, you know, the the necessary economic system that we live in and the cultural superstructure that is uh, informed by that. It's very difficult to just sort of cross your arms and go, well, I shan't consider it. It's almost impossible.
1: Does that mean that you don't enjoy or have fun when you're creating your videos? Because it's, it's, it's basically work. So, I mm. mean, you're putting a lot of your yourself into it. And I've just learned today, you're doing a gigantic amount of research and Uh, you know, writing up to the end, right until the very end that it's uploaded or, or whatnot. So is it, is it all just work or do you find like ways to have fun in it? I don't know. What was your mindset like when you're going through that process?
0: It, it completely depends. It depends highly on the video. Um, there have been videos that I put out before my, so like my Patreon video, I was like, Hey, if I'm, I'm moving house rents going up. I can't survive on the money that I have at the moment. If you if you want to give me a dollar, I'd appreciate it. Before that video succeeded in its aim, and again, I'm incredibly thankful that it did, and to the degree that it did. Um, before that, I was having to put out a video a month, or a video minimum once every two months, because if I didn't, then Patreon numbers went down, and if I didn't, my YouTube ad revenue went down, and if I didn't, subscriber growth slowed down. And it had sort of like plateaued for a, quite a while, about a year, which, considering the fact that I've only been really doing this for about three and a bit years, um, or four years coming up to you now, actually, now I'm thinking about it, like that was um, that was a big anxiety. And so there were videos that I was putting out that I didn't have fun making, that I was I was putting out the purpose of that video was not... The video was not the the content was not the uh, was not the like the research that I've been doing. It was to keep
1: something alive or afloat, right? Yeah, it was
0: it was literally just a commodity to produce profit. That was literally the reason I put that video, uh, put those videos out. Um, I won't say which videos they necessarily were because I don't, if someone like really enjoyed that video, I think it would be, you know, if I, if I really enjoyed a video from, I don't know, Jacob Geller or something sure, like that. Sure. I mean, intentionality then, yeah.
1: can be different from the results. People may still enjoy them on their own. Yeah. yeah.
0: But like, I think fundamentally the ones that I have, I've had fun doing are the ones where I kind of set myself a puzzle, um, be it, and the videos like that, like my video about humankind, that game that flopped, um, the video about, you know, anarchism, the video that I'm making now. The puzzle is how do I fit this bizarre, huge topic into a conversation about Magic the Gathering? How do I do that? And that's the fun of it. Unraveling that puzzle and working out how to do it. Uh, but the other videos which are just like, I don't know, you know, uh, wouldn't it be funny if this card was this card? Or it's it's just like that's just work to do and i don't have fun and i i feel very alienated from from that work and i remember when um i was considering stopping youtube um uh at some point because i think i just had three videos that i put out like that where the spark wasn't there and i was just like i'm i'm just creating content because I've got to pay my bills and this feels like I'm bussing tables at the seafood restaurant or I'm doing a shift at the nightclub. The only difference Mm -hmm. is that I'm not sweeping up um, fish sticks and rubbing down alcohol. I am, uh, like, looking on scryfall, desperate for inspiration. Um, And, like, writer's blocks and stuff like that that would happen were true through nightmares. Um, But, like, now that I have the space to actually pursue the things, pursue those puzzles, I feel a lot more connected to the work that i'm making and i feel um that the the uh the last two videos that i've um made as in like a thing that i've written a script for and put out easily my two favorite videos that i've made on the channel um uh and that's also reflected in the views in the comments as well which has been quite nice and the and the feedback um which has been a delight um i'm very happy with how things are presently
1: i'm so happy to hear that i'm so happy for you that that is That is the case right now and when you're making those videos that you are wanting to make that you're very happy about making like the the recent ones what is the most fulfilling part of that process is it was it is it during the process of making it is it releasing it is it reading the the feedback or hearing the feedback like what what part of it is the most Mm -hmm. like like gets you right in your I don't know. What's the analogy like heart or in the gut? Yeah. Like what's, what's no. the most fulfilling?
0: Yeah, I guess it, it depends on the video. If it's a, if it's like, if it's one of those videos that I've just put out a positive comment, broadly speaking, that is the thing that I like. I like to see. Cause it's like, oh, thank God. I haven't just put out a piece of crap because a monthly deadline was coming up. Thank goodness for that. With other videos, it's, if it's like analysis of for example, my un- my video about the unsets or the lawm video. If people pick out a joke in the comments, be like, "That was really funny," or like, "Oh, what a really interesting thing," or, or I hadn't thought about it like that." That stuff is very fulfilling. With um, and with the political and scientific stuff, that one is when people are like, "Hey, this was really helpful." I thought this. I now think this. It's like cool. I've convinced someone. That's great. This video, because a lot of it is like analysis and interpretation and kind of getting very uh metaphorical and meta and something like that making a connection i do feel like um you know uh, a researcher who's just had a eureka moment uh when you know i've been uh, again i can't spoil it because it comes right at the end of the video but i was recording the end of it uh, it's not fully done i've got to record bits in the middle for reasons that potentially will become uh, clear uh, when it comes out. But, like, I was recording the end. I was like, this, what I've written here is kind of naff. This doesn't seem right. Like, I say this, but it's clearly this. And I sat there and went, wait, it's clearly that. And then I ran and I started writing it down. I was like, oh, my God, I've cracked it. I have finally got a conclusion that I'm happy with and not one that kind of feels like right. a necessity. And that's the one that I then pitched to um, my partner and was just like, does this make sense? Uh, that That was... Like, again, Jigsaw Puzzle went in place, and that was so fulfilling. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So I like guess the, the feedback... When you're hitting the wall, the and then
1: you figure out a way to get past it, and uh, mm. that, that Yuriki yeah, yeah. moment,
0: right? Yeah, precisely. It's, you know, the um uh the the Dark Souls boss you've died to 40 times in a row, and you've just realized that you can parry the attack that keeps killing you. Like, it's, oh, that's how I'm supposed to do it. Um, Like, it's, it's the conclusion of the puzzle... Yeah, it's yeah. I think that it's, it's the conclusion of the puzzle. It's solving the puzzle and also people appreciating how you solved the puzzle. Those are the two fundamentally satisfying parts of it. Um, and also making really shitty cosplays because that, that just makes tick tickle something inside of me. <laughs> like making purposefully bad, like, Oko cosplays where my crown is spray-painted tinfoil and I've just literally sellotaped leaves to a jacket that I found in a thrift store like that. Oh, that's delightful. I'm a big fan of that.
1: Yeah, that really appeals to your sensibilities. I can definitely see that coming through <laughs> in, your, in your work. I love that. Thank I love you. That.
0: Thank you. Ramshackle, baby. Let's go.
1: Ramshackle. All right, so we gotta talk about this. Uh you talked about, you know, political content in your videos, and obviously there's mm. a there's a high political element to to some of the videos. I can't say all of them, right? No. But um it's very much something that for someone who watches your content, there's a thread. So I mm. wanna know, like, let's not get too because this this will be, this could be potentially be a whole nother podcast, but I kind of just want to know like <laughs> yeah. how, like, because I, I, I guess I should say that I just want to get to know like how you have the political beliefs that you do. Like mm. what were kind of the things that went on in your life that uh, I, I'm hesitant to use labels, but I, I don't know what you would describe yourself as like a, a socialist. Is that, is that fair to say?
0: I, um I, I, I usually use communist. Um, communist. Uh, as opposed, okay. As to so socialist. maybe maybe you could first
1: um, help me for, in your own words, like define a communist, and maybe the difference between a communist and a socialist. And hopefully, this won't be like five hours. But uh, I would. <laughs> no. I just want to know because this whole thing is about my curiosity. I really want
0: to, I I really want to know. Like, yeah. yeah. So for me, the reason I use communist over socialist or anarchist. Um, is because the way that I view ideology um, and the way that I view uh, the sort of like um, necessary steps that must be taken um, in order to uh, prevent you know the collapse of global ecosystems and also uh, to overcome the flaws um, and injustices inherent within our current economic system um, uh, is that ideology is a tool, and the use of that tool um is the thing that is going to uh, get us into a better space ideology uh viewing it like that rather than as a uh, a football team uh and i know that there are a few folks who you know i know in real life and also see them sort of like online who don't necessarily from at least my perspective on the stuff that they um put out and basically sort of like declare don't necessarily use that as a um, as a way of viewing the world, as an, an as a uh, an analysis for how to provide a better one, uh, but more so just like uh, an aesthetic or a um, a desire to sort of belong to some kind of uh, group, almost like a you know almost like a political fan club, um, so and more like a football of- club
1: basically yeah
0: exactly yeah um you know my my team has done this your team has not done this therefore my team's better rather than using that as an uh an opportunity to go okay but why has that happened right why did this work why did this not work and then drilling down to sort of like the fundamental contradictions within the reasons why things worked or didn't so that we can then learn from them in the future either as successful practice or as things to avoid uh and so that's why i i say um communist more so um than socialist uh, simply because i uh the way that i understand my ideology the goal um uh is like that uh that classic sort of um uh marxian idea of a stateless classless moneyless society that mm-hmm. is from my perspective the uh, eventual uh goal that uh humanity ought to be striving towards and whatever ideology uh brings that goal closer, whichever one seems at the time in, uh, national conditions or global conditions um, seems to be the one that's going to bring that about faster or, or uh, more ethically or what have you, that is the ideology that um, needs to be supported. And you can have multiple different, um, you know, uh, ideologies dif- relating to different sort of like social conditions that could be not necessarily competing against each other for being the thing that's going to finally, you know, break the yoke of capitalism or whatever. But certainly mm-hmm. through an, analysing the, uh, the game and failures of different uh socialist experiments or anarchist experiments we learn a lot more than if we are to view them exclusively as team team a and team b mm-hmm. uh, in the race against uh the destruction of all life on earth <laughs> um so yeah like uh that's why i, I say communist rather than um uh socialists specifically um uh i also some uh, and this is a personal thing I loathe the fact that uh, for the vast majority of, not vast majority, if that's a completely wrong uh, word, but for certainly some of the more vocal uh, people who ascribe themselves as being socialist, um, uh, and even some people who ascribe themselves as being anarchist, are fundamentally not um and who act very much as a uh an unfortunate buffer between people uh actually attaining a certain degree of class consciousness like for actually... example
1: their views on gender or like views on certain oh yeah issues, or... it, it can be yeah. it can
0: be um it can be like any any number of things um right uh you know it could be the uh um the uh what you call it um Oh, sorry, the words come from my head. Uh, chauvinism, that's the one I was going. It could be like incredibly mm. chauvinistic characters who proclaim that they, you know, believe in uphold socialist ideals, and yet mm. who fall prey to pretty common, um, mm. uh, often racist tropes uh, mm. surrounding like uh, other uh, socialist nations that exist. Mm. Um, and they label themselves as socialists, And so I try to divvy up myself, uh, divvy myself away from uh, Mm -hmm. being related to those people Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. because I don't like them. (laughs) Right,
1: right. Um, Maybe this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, my devil's advocate to what you just said is like, um, is that not just the the essence of human nature, like compartmentalization, right? Because we all think we're holier than thou. We are all idealistic or we claim to be because it helps us like sleep at night. But we're all contradictory in our in our natures, right? We all have our flaws. Like I could be Christian and I'm supposed to love my fellow man, but I'm a big fucking racist. I mean, just to use a random example. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, was abba- I
0: was about to be like, are you? Oh, uh, okay. Sorry, I, <laughs> I, I was, I was raised, I was raised Catholic
1: out. and I'm no longer Catholic. That, that's, that's a whole nother thing. Um, yeah, that's fair. And, and uh, I, I'm just throwing examples, just random examples no. out. But I, I'm, I'm just trying to say that, you know, he, we're all flawed, right? So, you know, we all ascribe to be something, uh, hopefully, and uh, we usually fall short
0: of that. And uh, this is this is one of the reasons. Oh, sorry, I'll let you you come. Oh, no, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. But this is uh, again, but I'm of talking about like ideology as a tool as opposed to a um, a sports team, I am fully aware that I am, you know, I am a 26 year old person. Um, I and I have such a limited understanding of Uh, both sort of broad history, but also current um, history. Like, I've only really been delving into um, actually understanding um, socialist and anarchist theory uh, in the last, like, two years. And so I understand that my perspective presently is potentially and probably not going to be the perspective i hold in like a year's time it hopefully will be somewhat similar hopefully i'm on a trajectory and i'm not uh, leading myself down uh an incorrect path but um broadly speaking i'm really confident in that however viewing it as a tool and viewing it as a system of analysis in of itself that can be critiqued and shouldn't be enshrined as anything that is um uh, inherently true but more so just uh uh, useful analysis of any given circumstance. I think that's, that's why I uh, I don't try and like, I don't pretend that I know what I'm talking about necessarily, because fundamentally, like I will read, um, Like I've been reading um, Manuel Wallerstein recently on world systems analysis, and that has uh, definitely shaped my understanding um on the nature of of like uh capitalism as a global system as a world system uh, which i didn't fully understand before um Mm. and so i know if i know myself presently to have uh been wrong previously then i know my future self will know my present self to be wrong right Mm. now about something um so like in under in understanding um, that you are foolish, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not trying step. to
1: imply that you're you're ignorant. I i I'm, I. Cause oh, you, you, you did fine. you did you did start off by saying that you believe that this is a tool, right? So if you if you identify yeah. as a communist or you agree with some of the principles of communism, it's a tool. So I think there's something rather pragmatic about what you're saying, which is like mm. you're not just like trying to hitch your your wagon of hitch. I don't. I don't know what analogy, but like you're not trying to just be on that fo- in that football club, but you think this will bring yeah. about something so maybe you help me define what communism is or what what you believe like being a communist means is it, is it like the communal it, it, it's like it's all like public ownership of everything or like what what does it actually mean to you
0: well i think there's there are a whole host of um sort of governmental policies um that certainly one could say would hold within them like the kernel of um like the root uh, that one uh, from which uh, a communist society could grow you know like public ownership is a really really good one it's fundamentally within a ca- world capitalist system cannot in of itself bring about communism by uh, like you know if everything was nationalized you would not necessarily be living in a uh, socialist system. You would not necessarily be living in a communist system in any capacity. But within the concept of public ownership, within the concept of um, uh, a nationalised uh, industry, there exists um, uh, the potential for, uh, you know, the absolute democratic control of um, any number of industries or any number of um, uh, public services. Um so, there are a whole load of things that um, prospectively like that um, uh, holds sort of like some elements that will one day become uh, communism in the same capacity that uh, sort of like under feudal society, there were many aspects that contained the kernel of, sort of like capitalism, right? Like the, uh, you know, people who would, uh, the serfs who would produce um, uh, a surplus of goods um, that, you know, the local lords would take their cart, they would uh, save some for their, you know, uh, families and save some for themselves and save some for their community. And if they had any left over that would be exchanged in some capacity, um, potentially even for um, when, you know, minting occurred, potentially for coin, that in of itself was not a, um, uh, did not a capitalism make, but certainly within that action, within that uh, production of surplus, um, uh, yeah, production of surplus full stop, and the exchange of that surplus for money there existed, the thing from which capitalism would eventually grow. Um, So it's all a, it's all a, uh, a process. Um, And fundamentally, my uh, view on it is uh, the Process must limit as much um, the harm that uh, the world system of capitalism uh, incurs upon people as possible from a uh, from a uh, like individual basis in terms of, you know, uh, uh, rights for the individual, but also on a far more global basis in terms of, you know, uh, a democratic control over uh, energy production or uh, at bare minimum energy production with uh, that is being uh, dictated towards um, a uh, a sustainable future as opposed to one where all the fish in the ocean are dead. Like that's within that will eventually grow from uh, from that will eventually grow a fairer and better society, which potentially we will label as communism, potentially we will not potentially Mm. we will get there. And then the other thing. (laughs)
1: What was your personal journey to become someone who identified with these uh, principles or these tools? Like, what, what was there? Was there a particular point in time when you started to have that affinity with uh, communism or the principles of it?
0: I think, I, again, it's like coming back to the idea of like, I know my past self to be a fool, and I know myself, therefore, in the present to be a fool in the to mm. my future self. Uh, I think that I was calling myself... Um, like uh, a communist or an anarchist or a socialist and and stuff like that. Before I really understood what I was talking about, I think I had this broad idea that the world is unfair. At the root of it are the inconsolable contradictions inherent with capitalism, uh, the moral contradictions therein, and the injustices. Uh, so it started
1: know. with asking questions like, "Why is the world this way?" or
0: I I mean, I think it started with a disillusion towards um, the process of uh, sort of like liberal parliamentary um, democracy. Um, When I was younger, uh, you know, my first formative um, political understanding of the world when I sort of became politically cognizant was during the uh, 2008 financial crash. Uh, And I have lived exclusively through crises Um, when it comes to uh, both ecological and economical. Mm. I have lived through the way that uh, the uh, political party when I was younger that I thought was going to uh, save my generation and potentially even The nation and potentially even the world, the Liberal Democrats who were presented as an alternative to stuffy old Labour and plain evil Conservative, I -hmm. saw how the moment that they got into power, they rescinded on all of their pledges and all Mm -hmm. of their promises and Mm -hmm. just worked in favour of uh, the Conservative uh, Party Mm -hmm. and in uh, in of itself in in the Mm favour of capital. And as time went on and as further and further injustices compounded themselves around me, it was only until the uh, eventual uh, failure of Jerry Corbyn to win uh, the uh, general election 2019 over here that I kind of sat down. I remember I remember that that night. It was a bad night. I me and my um, my two housemates at the time just devastated, absolutely fucking devastated. And it instilled in me a desire to do something. Because here I had someone coming in who seems to be professing a lot of the things that I thought would be good about the world. Obviously, it wouldn't fix the world that I lived in, but certainly would be massive, massive steps in making it better for a lot of people. And had been sabotaged to the point where uh, a nice old man who makes jam on the side is, has been cast as literally Satan um, for a vast, uh, vast amount of the population of England. Um, and I kind of sat there and went, well, what can I do? And so I started getting materially involved in my community, but in doing that, I also started to look at, well, what are the alternatives to, you know, Corbyn, what, what, like, why did this fail? like using you know using the analysis of like why did this not work out and then also looking at okay but what about you know he's he said he's a socialist and they keep calling him a marxist and a trotskyist and a stalinist what are all of these things later mm-hmm. i find out that uh, start, uh you can't really be a trotskyist and a quote-unquote stalinist turns out those things are kind of contradictory i didn't really know that at the time mm-hmm. and then going in and actually reading about um marx actually sitting down with some sort of like pe- people in my community and going through it and educating ourselves and from that my understanding about the world has massively massively developed um i can't recommend people uh sort of like delve into like the fundamental philosophies that underpin a lot of marxism um dialectical materialism specifically enough because it just revealed a a certain uh, revealed a way of looking at the world that i kind of just understood as being common sense but up until it was up until the point that it was explained, but how, how does that make the world work that I, it clicked in my head of like, oh shit, that's how the world works. Like, uh, it's, uh, are you, I don't know if you're particularly familiar with uh, dialectical materialism as a, um, uh, as a concept. I know that you've read like uh, philosophy books yourself.
1: No, um, maybe you could explain it for, for me or for the audience uh, uh, for both. Yes.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, it's it's two component parts. It is the uh, dialectic and it is uh, materialism dialectics is the understanding that um, uh, amongst many things, uh, nothing in the world exists in a vacuum. Everything um, that exists uh, is influenced by things around it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That nothing exists in a fixed state. Everything is in a process of growth or decay of change in some capacity. Um, and that, uh, oh, there was one more thing that's very, very important. Hang on. <laughs> one sec, it will come straight back to me. I swear to you. Everything's at a state of change. Everything's flux. Oh, yes. Um, and that uh, everything that exists um, presently is the result of uh, these series of processes that if understood in their so like totality and fully, Um, uh, just the logical conclusion of those various different events interacting with one another and those objects. Mm -hmm. Um, So like these, uh, the science of why things happen in the same way that, you know, if you heat water, it will boil. Mm -hmm. We can use that as a way of explaining social phenomena and social Mm -hmm. change and economic systems. So events
1: and phenomena don't happen Um, in a vacuum. They're all they're interconnected uh and all things are yeah. impermanent. I mean there's kind of a Buddhist thing in there about like they're either decaying yeah. or or growing, but they're not they're not sitting still.
0: The only constant is change in all of that. Uh okay. like so that's the that's the dialectic. The materialist section of it, and this is the thing that um uh Marx uh, I think a lot of people when they hear Karl Marx they think, oh, that's the person that invented communism or whatever. I think fundamentally and Kwame Ture actually puts this really really well there's a wonderful um, uh, uh, speech that um, uh, he gave on sort of Marx where he's talking about like fundamentally um, anyone could have come to the conclusions that Marx came to in an economic capacity they could see that um, uh, a worker being paid a wage um, that was lesser than the value that they created um, in the products that they were making would necessarily cause uh, an economic catastrophe where the workers cannot buy back the things that other workers have actually made for them, thus things get overproduced, thus the economy crumbles, all that stuff. He said that the main thing that uh, Marx uh, brought to the world, the main useful thing, was the materialist aspect of the dialectic, which is very, very simple. It's this idea that all things that exist, as we understand them, that they change, that they're influenced by other things. The main thing that first starts that process of change is the material world and people's material conditions. Specifically, how do people um, uh, get the uh, ability to survive? You know, how do they get food? How do they get shelter? All that stuff. That is the thing that kickstarts all change in the world. That uh eventually will uh, result in a social change which will then inform the uh material uh base that will then in of itself create a new social change and it goes around like that and in understanding that uh, it is ma- the material world first that needs to be changed, and not, you know, people coming up with really good ideas. It is, uh, in fact, if people do come up with really good ideas, is it because they are, exist in a space, in a uh, environment which allows them to do that, which gives them, for example, in my capacity, gives me the financial uh, security to sit down and read all of this work and produce it. Like, it's the understanding that uh improving the environment fundamentally is the uh main way that we bring about a better uh, a better society better societal ideas and improving the uh efficiency of production and improving all of that the material base will lead to a better cult- uh, cultural idea of the world um so those two things taken in conjuncture which I think the sec- the first part, the dialectics, always kind of just made sense to me. Yeah, it's nothing exists in a vacuum. Nothing is just the same forever. That kind of just makes sense. But it was the materialist part that was like, this explains why it was that we didn't just go from like uh, someone come up comes up with this great idea of like, well, hey, why don't we all just you know share all of our stuff forever and yeah. and there we go, we're all happy. Why why is it that if someone said that? Uh, 10,000 years ago, it didn't happen. Well, because right. of the materialist process of the world.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's great. I mean, it, it's really just like a lot of concepts that I would say that I identify with as well. Although I've not had that. I've not called it that. But it's just something mm. that I've I've lived through and, and, and I, I yeah. associate with. And I'm glad you're going through all this with me because um, my very ignorant view of people who call themselves um socialists or communists is that they think the world can just can just like like oh you know like yeah. capitalism evil communism good uh we should just abolish think this, this today think yeah, yeah just like just yeah. imp- like, like I, they my ignorant view of people who label themselves a certain way is that um first of all they're in a football team second of all Um, they just have this like, uh, ignorance of like the human condition. Like they just think that things are like perfectly efficient in a system and I should be able to like put this policy forward and it's just going to work like, and obviously that's not the real world. So it's like, I feel like my ignorance comes from my live cynicism of like, just looking at a lot of things that have not worked and mm-hmm. i think it's only in the re- in the last 3 to 5 years that i've started to really read more about it and talk to people more about it like this in mm-hmm. this way and and really try to try to see what's going on because like it, it it's like a saying that i like to say to myself it's like if if everything is so obvious and easy then and i'm so smart then how come i'm not a a billionaire and everyone else is somehow like is is everybody else just idiots like am i the only smart one that can't be so it's like there's got to be like something about me like being in a cave and not being exposed to a lot of things and just making bad assumptions about other people right about people's intentions mm-hmm. about like you know you know spice eight rack they call themselves um a communist like what does that mean mm-hmm. right and so um yeah, yeah. I, I just i just really like i'm i'm I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's not a question here, but it's like it, it's just. I, I'm glad you told me this stuff because um, I, no, I feel like right. I could. I'm, I'm... I have. I had a different reading of it, and and I, I admit that. So.
0: Well, I've I've always found that the conversations I have with people who like I've, obviously I've got lots and lots of um, both uh, socialist and anarchist friends. Um, I've had lots and lots of conversation with them and I, it's always, it's always a joy to talk to people who have like, you know, you can get to the real, real nuance of things and dig down to like the root of a, um, root of a theory and like, oh, but what, uh, how would we compare, um, you know, a, a a Dengist view of this versus how, uh, uh, Trotsky would view that, oh, stuff like that. And that's all very interesting. But I think the conversations I enjoy the most are with people who have only ever either heard of socialists or um, have met anarchists only on the Internet and have this idea of it and being able to be like, let's sit down and let's have a chat. Because fundamentally, it's like it's not this big academic, uh, you need to have a, a, a big brain and. Uh, uh, you you know you've got to uh have, uh, have a PhD in in into... social,
1: yeah socialism. exactly
0: and like all, yeah. all that all that much. I mean like fundamentally the reason why um uh like uh so like uh, socialist uh revolutions and sort of like anarchist movements have cropped up mainly um in, in terms of like their success mainly within the sort of like imperial periphery and at the um as a uh Lenin said this like we uh the weak links of imperialism and so like the uh the capitalist world system is because fundamentally when it is explained it can be very readily understood by anyone there's this mystique around it and i think i think a lot of people like to dress it up as being this really complicated thing and like look how smart i am using clever uh words and philosophy but like i've never i have i'm not educated in any of this i've done all of this education myself and just by talking to people um and by like reading the books and often having to sit down with people and be like cool i've i've read lenin's imperialism i understood maybe a page what the fuck <laughs> is he talking about um like that and like i mean i'm you know fundamentally, like, uh, you know, in the in the process, like the Russian revolution, like Lenin himself was going around to like, um, uh, Russian factory workers, many of whom could not read or write, and explaining the nuance mm. between social democracy and socialism to mm. them. Mm. And if that if that can be done, like, h- hundreds of years ago it can absolutely be done now. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's I, I always love having conversations with um This is actually a, this is a bit of a tangent. I used to have um i almost certainly will never never see this person again um but like i used to go to a party once a year it was a eurovision party and i swear this has something to do with what i'm talking about um it was a eurovision party um and uh i don't particularly like eurovision but a lot of my friends hung out there it was all good And i ended up getting chatting to someone at that party and i think i made a i think i made a joke about how like oh isn't brexit terrible or something like that um, and I made an assumption based on this person that that would just be like that would be it. We would agree, and then we'd move on. That would be that person's
1: worldview, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that
0: would be that person's worldview, and that person went, "No, actually, I, well, I mean, I voted for Brexit. I was like, fascinating." And then we went to sit in the garden, and we chatted for about three and a half hours um and they like uh i was asking them questions they were asking me questions i was elucidating i was attempting to elucidate a lot of the misconceptions that they had about various different things um and every single year that that happened, I think for three years in a row, I would go to that party, that person would be there, it was the only party I'd ever see them at, I, we'd go sit in the garden and we'd talk for three and a half hours, and it was great, and it was some of the best conversations that I've had, and people would, like, come and sit around us and then piss off and come and forth, and it was brilliant, Though, like, and that fundamentally is how you, like, how you connect with people by, like, sitting down and having a conversation about, like, the basic misconceptions that people have, you know, because otherwise you're just you know you're chatting with your pals
1: it's just very difficult to have those conversations online right or when you're shouting oh, into into twitter or some platform this I yeah i
0: hate i hate like the debate shit because yeah. it's not a, it, a debate is performance it doesn't actually change anybody's mind it's just twitter is more for jokes right
1: it's more for like uh you know one-liners oh, yeah. and jokes it's not really for yeah. um I, something <laughs> more
0: if yeah i think that like and this is another thing, like, as as useful as these conversations, like, are, and as useful as it is to put out, so like, uh, I would consider what I make propaganda, when you put out propaganda onto, you know, the internet, lots of people view it, that's great, but it's only really in, like, the real world where you're organizing people that you actually will see that change, and you actually get people to... Uh, um, get behind a, uh, a policy or get behind an ideology and to have a conversation with them and to develop things. Um, because if you just talk with people on the internet exclusively, and you're just putting out propaganda, you are potentially convincing people to then go and do the reading themselves. But you're, if anyone's like stuck watching, um, your work and getting all their political information from you exclusively, then nothing's actually changing. You know, mm-hmm. you're not those those people aren't necessarily changing anything in them in their immediate environment. You have to encourage people to go out and do do good. You know, you've got to encourage, encourage people to go out and organise their workplaces into unions, organise their communities, um uh into uh sort of like defensive organizations, um, or organise, you know, uh for dual political power, stuff like that. Um otherwise otherwise it's just football teams.
1: Totally. I I have a friend named uh I have a friend, Ian, who whom it's really interesting. I've only met him once in my mm. entire life, like met him once in real life because we, we play Magic, right? He plays Magic as well. Uh, yeah. He's in the US. Um, I met him once and our relationship has actually gotten a lot deeper over the years, just purely mm. through the internet. Um, and I think what happened was he recognized that I was one of the few people that when he... Told me stuff, like I would actually remember it and uh, reference it later on, where he would send me a link mm. almost like because you know, like when you send someone a link, like they don't really most of the time, like 90, 90% of them are not, not going to open it. But I, I actually read stuff that he sent me and like about politics or like other various things, and I mm. actually responded back to him, like to in, in a way that he knew that I read the whole thing, like down to the last mm. paragraph. And I think what happened is our friendship developed because of that because he realized I was someone who actually critically read stuff that he sent me. And so what Mm. happened was that he started reciprocating. So when I sent him stuff Mm. that I found interesting, he would then also read it down to the last paragraph. And it's just like we never really talked about this, but I think Mm. that's really rare. Like I'm just thinking about what you're saying and like like when like I've seen you tweet like, you know, the like marxism.org or like you sent me stuff. And by the way, I did read part one and two. So um, I didn't get, I only got like 10% of it, but- uh, That's fair. It's but, written 200 yeah, years ago and not ex- Exactly, exactly. But I- I'm saying that it's very rare that like people have the attention span. And this is not a judgment because I-, I really, I'm I'm the same way too. Like I'm reading stuff that I'm interested in. Like I'm not reading mm-hmm. about some something happening that I'm not interested in. Uh, so it's like, but I think that's why videos are so, so powerful because they, they do let you, they do let our lizard brains like run them in the background while we're doing laundry and like, we're absorbing something. But I think critical reading these days is just super hard. And I think that, um, to make my point, it's like, you do need to have that like face-to-face dialogue with someone 99% of the time to actually absorb new information. Cause like, it doesn't like even your fans, I'm sure if you like tweet out something today, I don't think, like, one out of ten people are going to, like, really, like, tweet. Like, I'm I'm not saying this to be dismissive, but, like, it's just from my own anecdotal experience. You you know what I mean, right?
0: No, I, I know what you mean. I'm just finding it very funny that you're saying that the last thing I tweeted out was a picture of one of the new um, uh monsters that have all the teeth on it just oh yeah yeah, yeah. i enjoyed that teeth teeth teeth. it's like yeah (laughs) no no people people can enjoy that that that
1: is something that like 99 people will enjoy but i'm saying if you're like Mm. if you're going deeper than that if it's something not visual then it's very hard like if you if you said like hey i recommend everybody read um like you you tweeted out your reading list for for the uh mill versus discard video the the one the staff that you showed me like i'm curious how many people like will try to figure out like what is the oxford companion to the mind like what what is actually in there like have they tried to did they try to like i'm curious like what what is what is what is this book about it's
0: it's, it's a it's so a luring. somewhat it's a somewhat out of date dictionary for uh psychiatric and uh psychological terminology with a little bit of um like uh, i've only like drawn a few things from it just to like Sometimes, like, obviously, as I said, I'm not actually educated into, like, reading philosophy. I don't get it all the time. I also, I'm not educated in political theory. This is all my personal, like, hyperfixation or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Sometimes I need someone to, like, explain it again to me, but in smaller words. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, It's like, the, there's that Simpsons bit where um, uh, Homer's, like, reading, uh, like, there's a montage and he's reading, like, how to be... Um, how to be successfully self-employed. Um, and he's reading that and he's got his glasses on. And then it cuts to a shot of that in the bin and back up to him. And it's like um, being self-employed for dummies. And then it cuts to a shot of that <laughs> in the bin. Yeah. And then he's reading a book, how to read a book or something <laughs> like that. It's like, it, it feels very much like I am- I love that I've bit, gone yeah. to this. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I've gone to this for their perspective on what uh, Dakar's, perspective on the mind body problem is just to make sure that my perspective on it isn't fully warped by the fact that I don't know how to necessarily read philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, it's, um, some of it is like, I, I try and, uh, recommend like edu- uh, not educational, accessible stuff as often as I can. Stuff that's like very plain spoken or easy to like get to grips with. I am, uh, like, especially like more modern stuff. Um, I've been really enjoying, um, uh, for example, uh, The People's Republic of Walmart at the moment, um, which is a uh, a very interesting book, which makes the argument that economic planning as like a, a concept hasn't actually gone away, it's just... Uh, become the exclusive purview of, uh, in, uh, within industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed the industries that attempt to have, for example, an, an internal market within them oftentimes fall into the same kind of crises that the world system of capitalism does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's sort of like this indictment of, uh, the lie that sometimes capitalists put out about how you know we need to have a freer market we need to have uh, less restrictions we need to be able to like let the market decide all of these things and yet internally they know that that if they did that within how production is actually managed their production would collapse they need to have a tight control and a tight plan on stuff um so like and that's really very accessible uses lots of lots of very recent um uh examples and uh statistics it's also uh was written in 2016 so doesn't Use words like inconsolable um, in the (laughs) middle of it for no good goddamn reason i have to look up what that actually means fuck you Engels. um (laughs) but like stuff i try and recommend stuff like that but also there is some like classic theory that i always think is just really really useful
1: how do you figure out what new books to read
0: um sometimes it will come from other people recommending them um in fact a lot of the time it does there'll be people who um um take a picture of a uh uh a book and be like hey if you enjoyed this um read this or uh these were the top 10 books that i read this year uh i think like um oh one second um like how europe underdeveloped africa was one of those ones for me where someone like uh had just a picture of it and was like this is phenomenal and really important for people to read it's like cool i'll give this a go and it was brilliant um and uh, even this like this is a great example of pretty much every book that I've read gives me a new perspective on stuff and proves myself in the past to be a fool um because one of the sort of like uh the things that I thought I understood about historical development was for example the world went from sort of primitive communism where everyone you know was hunter-gatherer societies there was no obviously money or trade or stuff like that. People just pulled their resources as a society um, and uh, cooperated with each other. Uh, a brilliant book to read on sort of like the... Um, The not necessarily uh, combative, but arguably more um, cooperative nature of human development is Mutual Aid by Kropotkin. I love that book. Um, But like it goes from that to sort of classical society, which, you know, your Roman Empire, your uh, your Greek society, which is fundamentally built around like enslaved uh, people and they're doing the labor for the exploitative class. Then it goes to feudalism, then it goes to capitalism, then it goes to socialism, then it goes to communism. That's like the traditional thinking of it. And this sort of like examines that from uh, the perspective of African society Mm -hmm. and talking about how... The structures of feudalism and the structures of um, uh, that sort of like existed in uh, uh, Europe were not necessarily in any way reflected within Africa. It had a very different um, uh, development, but in doing so, it then utilizes the that sort of like materialist development of, OK, but why did that happen? Was it because Marx was talking a bunch of bollocks? Was it because he only thought about it from a Eurocentric perspective? Or can we still use... Uh, you know, the material dialectic and historical materialism to explain why this has happened. Um, and it, it made, it made my brain bigger as a result. So I always recommend like keep an eye out for just books that people go, Hey, give that a go because it's brilliant.
1: Are you concerned that in the future you might come across or read something that would just completely invalidate what you believe today?
0: Um, I'm not really concerned, part like partially because I'm like presently I've read enough from a broad spectrum of writers, both sort of like um, uh, like e- either socialist sympathetic or like actively socialists or anarchists, um, uh, and even sort of like you know f- uh, from an anti communists people who like you know uh, present a lot of arguments uh, for why you know uh, such a movement is foolish you know there is only there is no alternative there is only neoliberalism until the sun burns out all that stuff um and i upon reading those books um i managed to like go through and using my own understanding but then also further reading go okay well this is not right right this is a this is a warped perspective on things um this argument for um, you know, like, ah, uh, look at uh, socialism is dreadful. Look at how Cuba turned turned out. Its economy is a shambles because of uh, socialism. It's like, is it a shambles because of socialism, mm-hmm. or is it a shambles because? the largest economy in the world at time of recording has been embargoing it since its, uh, existence as a, uh, a national, uh, national liberation nation
1: analysis. Yeah, ex- yeah,
0: exactly. But it's also, it's neither one single thing. Again, nothing exists in a the vacuum. There are a whole host of things interacting, mm-hmm. um, uh, upon stuff like that. Um, but also I think that if I were to come across something that completely, uh, undermines my current kind of perspective on the world, um, I, I like to think that I am uh uh, I like to think that I'm smart enough to know that uh I wasn't smart enough to hang on I think I'm smart enough to know that I'm not going to be smart enough to know that I'm presently right or wrong that Mm. it's always going to be a process Mm. um and I think as well like if I believe if I believe the same things that I believe today in 20 years and my analysis of the world does not change at all then that's that's football team behaviour, you know. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'll stop being a communist. I frankly doubt that, just based on the sort of breadth of reading that I've had and how convinced I am presently of those um, uh, of those arguments. But I certainly think that, like, if I believe exactly the flavour of um, you know communism uh, that I believe now, and sort of like the uh, the underpinning philosophy behind the economic system of the world, still believe that in twenty years, then apparently I've read no fucking books and talked to nobody um because because how else how, how else could i possibly think that you know sure that would be like the more concerning could, yeah.
1: thing is if there's no change to your your yeah, uh, mental model precisely. or how you think about it and it
0: doesn't it doesn't have to be a major change you don't have to like every 5 years become a you know have a completely different ism um yeah. that you ascribe your ideology to but you certainly do need to adapt and un adapt your understanding to a changing world, um, 100% so both the changing cultural, but also the changing uh, material conditions of the world that you're living in, uh, both, both tactically as a means of bringing about social change, but also what social change is even possible. What social change even is necessary? What social change do people want to see? Why do they want to see it? Why don't they want to see something else? Is there a material reason for it, or is it, you know, uh, in the in the case of like Corbyn, for example, is it a massive um, campaign of uh, you know private media um, owners who very much don't want someone who's going to threaten their um, a financial monopoly, uh, over England and other places around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, and analyzing those differences is incredibly important. You've got to be adaptable. It's a science in it.
1: On that note, spicy rack. I have no more questions. This is actually the best part, the best part of the interview to end on, <laughs> uh, is Brilliant. that, is that kind of like, you know, looking into the future, you know, the only constant is change. And, and, uh, I thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, talk to me today. And, uh, that's
0: all right. Thank, thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight. I've loved talking with you. I've been holding in a piss for the better part of an hour, just because of how much I've been enjoying the conversation. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't want it to end. So I appreciate you.
1: All right. Uh, have a good rest of the, the day where you are.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm probably going to be going to bed very soon, but thank you so much. Um, uh, Be well. And I'm be bloody checking out your Patreon. I might just, after this, um, I have number 14 coming up. So (laughs) I hope you have a lovely old one.
1: Appreciate you. Uh, Have a good one.
0: Bye. Bye-bye.